On one of my bookshelves, there is a photo album of the day that I was ordained to the priesthood. This photo album contains a lot of different moments for memory, those different things that were important and prominent throughout the ceremony. There was the rite of ordination, there was the mass, there were different elements that were very much a part of the rite and essential. There were even pictures before and pictures after during the festivities that took place. Now, out of all the pictures, if I had to choose a favorite, while there are many that I could look to or try to choose from, there's one in particular and one that may not be expected. And that's the one where I stood there in front of the altar after being ordained a priest with my entire family. There's just something that's impressive and important to that um, particular picture for me because, in fact, it shows my origin, where I came from, the family that's always been a part of my history and continues to be. But if you think about it, there's often this misconception that priests materialize from thin air. But this actually shows something more important, that priests come from families just like yours. That priests have a mother and a father. Priests have a, a bunch of siblings. That they have all of these things that are not uncommon to our reality. And indeed, that's something that we celebrate today, the gift of the family. In particular, we celebrate the patronage that we have under the holy family of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. But as we celebrate these things, as we celebrate this family that lived familial life so well, what does it mean for us today? Why are we celebrating something that might seem so far beyond our grasp or beyond our reach, or maybe something that's not really related to where we are at this time? We start off this morning with the book of Sirach, which is one of the books of wisdom literature, meaning that it's concerned about human knowledge, about understanding, about even moderate, moderate levels of philosophy, because it's trying to break down life and understand it more fully. But as we enter into this one, it actually speaks to the reality of the human family. That it, tell, it tells us how God puts the man of the house, the husband, over his entire household. How the wife is much the same. How children are set before them in obedience. That all of these things are set in motion by the Lord. And so it actually tells something of a beautiful story. That this is not just something that happens. It's not just a random story of chance. But it's actually something that is very much set in motion by the Lord. And not in a general way, but in a particular way, that each and every one of our families are set in motion by our Lord and by our God. And so, in fact, it's something that's a beautiful story because it tells how the human family came to be as an institution. It's not just something that happened because it was convenient, but it was something that was set in motion by the Lord and by our God. But we also hear about the ways to live in harmony, the ways to live as a family. In particular, towards the end, we see these relations that uh, the father is supposed to have to his children, a mother also, but then also the children, the way that they are supposed to revere and to honor their father and their mother as well. That there are actually consequences to this, and not just in a temporal realm, but in the eternal realm as well. That we are told the one who honors or, reveals his, or reveres his father, even in the times when maybe his mind has left him, that even in those moments, if he reveres him, then his prayer will be heard. What's more, he enjoys a long life, which in the Old Testament is always symbolic of receiving the Lord's favor, that in fact, if one lived a long life, they were considered to have done God's commands throughout all their life.
And in fact, that is what the book of Sirach is telling. Not just that families have been given by God, but that there is a mandate that comes along with uh, receiving a family. That one is to do what they are supposed to do. All of the duties and all of the things that they are required to do, that the Lord has set them before them to choose and to obey those dictates of his law. And so in fact, whenever we hear that responsorial psalm, the Lord remembers his covenant forever. It's not just about the Lord remembering his own covenant, but it's about us remembering our part of the deal, about where we are supposed to fulfill the commands of the law of the Lord for each and every one of us. We move on to St. Paul in his letter to the Colossians, and he speaks at the very beginning to do all the things that the Lord has asked one to do, to live in all generosity, to live in respect and humility, and all these different things that are required, all these different virtues that are good for one to live by. And so it tells to live in all these things. But what's more, St. Paul tells to speak, to live in concert, to live in harmony with others, that even if there are grudges or if there are moments of conflict, to overlook those things, to forgive those things as God our Father has forgiven us. Now, at this point, if we're looking at the entire reading, we might think that this is about just an individual and their perception and perspective towards our Lord and God, the way that we, they are called individually to live in pursuit of holiness, and even the ways where as they live corporately or live with others, that they are still called to live in perception of that, that they are continued to call to live in community with the rest of humanity, at least in some way, but their individuality is the most important. But notice what happens towards the end. Because it's not just that, but in fact, St. Paul starts to speak about those relationships that are most important, that are closest to us, that have been most vital and most formative to us. Those, those different connections between father and mother, between father and child and mother and child and child and both their parents. That in fact, he tells to live in all of those things and to do what one is supposed to do. That the, the father is supposed to live in, their, in perspective of their children and to give them the respect that they deserve. And in fact, he's supposed to lead them not in paths of harshness, but in paths of holiness. Or even whenever the children are beholding their parents, that they are supposed to honor and to obey them in their right order. And so, in fact, we see that St. Paul's speaking not just to individuality, not just saying pursue holiness as individuals, but pursue holiness as a family. Pursue holiness where you are planted, to continue to seek all after the Lord and our God, not just in a general or ethereal way, but in fact in our families and in our homes. And then finally we arrive at the gospel and we hear this familiar story of the presentation. And so we're told that Joseph and Mary were taking Jesus to the temple to present him to the Lord in accordance with the dictate of the law. They're told that he needed to be purchased in some way, but also consecrated and set aside for the Lord. And so that's happened. They've offered what's supposed to be offered. But there's also this man that is waiting there, and Simeon was his name. Very holy and very devout man. And he's awaiting this child that is coming because the Holy Spirit has told him that the Christ child will come to him before he sees death. And in fact, Simeon recognizes this, and so he's faithful, and he waits. And we hear this theme of joyful expectation and hope, because whenever he beholds the Christ child, what does he do? Well, he doesn't say, well, there it is, I can finally go home. But he goes, he scoops up that child in his arms, and he proclaims the glory of God. He says, now, Master, you may let your servant go in peace. My eyes have seen the glory that you have prepared for all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and to the glory of your people Israel. That he has this entire beauty beautiful prayer that he gives over to the Lord, recognizing that the object of his desire has finally been found, and the Holy Family presented that to him. 
And then he starts to speak of the child to his mother and his father, but in particular to his mother, because he tells that Jesus will be a sign of contradiction, meaning that he is going to challenge people to do the right thing, to live in the right way, even in the moments when it might be difficult. And even her own heart, because of the love of her son, it will be pierced because of that love and because of all the things that Jesus undergoes. And such is the story of Simeon and what he says. And we also hear of the prophetess Anna who is there, and she is also waiting that she's night and day in the temple, but she beholds the Holy Family as well. She beholds the Christ child, and she begins to spread that news over the entire countryside because she recognizes the good news that is finally taking place and the prophecies that are being fulfilled at this time. That she goes and she tells all of those who are waiting the redemption of Jerusalem. And then the family goes home. They return to Nazareth, and what are we told? That Jesus grows at that time, that he grows in strength and wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. And in fact, that's a beautiful testimony to the Holy Family, to their faithfulness and fidelity, but how they also impacted others that were around them, and the ways that they caused others to rejoice in the Lord, because those prophecies were finally being fulfilled. So we hear all of these things, and we hear especially the name of the Holy Family of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. And there might be a temptation to remove them from our reality, or think that that is an ideal that is too far from us to reach for. That in fact is too far removed from our reality, so that we just don't even try to reach after that. Or we, what's worse, sometimes we see the brokenness or the disunity or disharmony within our own families, and we start to think, is it even possible for us to attain the reality of a Holy Family? And indeed it is, but we have to realize what this feast teaches us and tells us even when we confront or face our own reality, our own brokenness, our own messiness of life, that in fact our Lord is telling us that holiness is still possible step by step. But first we need to realize that this, it also proclaims to us that Christ enters into our humanity, into our brokenness, into our messiness of our life. That he had the humility, he condescends and touches this earth. So he takes up our human nature and he takes it and forms it anew and he actually raises its dignity. And even with the, whole, even with the institution of the family, he does the very same thing by parallel. Because in fact, he doesn't just enter into this reality as an individual, but he actually in, enters into this reality through the vehicle of a family. And so he raises up and beatifies the dignity of the family, not just the holy family, but each and every one of ours as well. And so in fact, the Lord is telling us that he is sanctifying and making holy this very same institution, that he wants us to see its dignity in a new way, especially in this day and age, whenever we can often forsake the dignity of the family, or at least society at large wants to take down the dignity or the um, level of importance of a family. Nonetheless, Jesus reminds us of how important and how dignified a family really is, and how he raises, up it, and raises it up in a new way. But then we continue on, because we might consider and we might have questions as far as, if that is the Holy Family, what are our duties as a family ourselves? Well, there's a few different things, but they ultimately all are around the central theme of being a house of formation, that each and every one of our families are a place where we are supposed to grow in strength and wisdom ourselves, much like Jesus grew in his own family. And that, in fact, is something that we should realize, that like St. Paul said, that we should fundamentally 
fundamentally grow in virtue, that we should grow in humility and gentleness and compassion in all of these different virtues that the Lord gives to us to practice, that we are supposed to grow in those things first and foremost within our own family. And so the family is supposed to form these things, that we are supposed to challenge and encourage each other as we grow on the path to holiness. And so, in fact, as we see that, we are supposed to grow in virtue. But then we're also, and, and we have to understand that there is an undergirding virtue to all of these. And that is what St. Paul speaks to as love charity, that in our families we, and in our homes, we should first and foremost learn how to love, how we reach out of ourselves, how we are not self-centered, but rather how we are selfless in our approach, how we love others, how we want for their good, how we're always working for that. And we learn that first and foremost in the bonds that are our family, in our mother, in our father, in our siblings, and all of those around us, that we learn how to do this for better or for worse, or sometimes in better ways or sometimes sometimes worse ways, we learn to do this within the context of our family. Maybe it's not always perfect, but nonetheless, that's where we learn it. But then we also learn, as statistics tell us, that we learn the faith, and we learn that through our family. That as many different teachers, as many different people might be entrusted with teaching our children about the faith, that nonetheless we are first and foremost responsible for handing on the gift of faith. And statistics tell us that this is the most reliable way, that this is the most impactful way. Because in fact, if a mother and father take their faith seriously, if they live it day in and day out, then in fact the statistics tell us that the children will too. And that is another thing that a family is a house of formation for, that it is a house of formation in the faith. That whatever we do, whatever we practice, if we're handing on something about the faith and about our religion, about our Lord and our God, then we should find it within our families. And then we move on and we have to consider. So we hear how the Holy Family is, how they perfect all of these things, but then we might think about our own reality. And sometimes we might find that maybe we're doing things well, at least in one area or another, but many times we find the areas where maybe we're not doing so well, especially in this day and age, whenever we view the negative first. Then we might find the areas of brokenness. We might find the areas of disunity. We might find the areas of failure where we feel like we can't live out the virtue of the Holy Family. What are we to do? Well, each and every family has the duty and the responsibility to pray to the Holy Family for the grace that they require, and that even in the midst of brokenness or changed circumstances or whenever it seems most impossible, that the Holy Family can give us grace even in those places. And that is exactly why we have this moment today to consider the feast of the Holy Family of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, because they're not just there as an example for us to marvel at, but they're an example for us to follow and to strive for, but they're also going to give us the grace to do just that very well as we consider them under the aspect of the Holy Family and the ways that they were connected and intimately tied to one another. And so in fact, this is a moment for us to consider if there are imperfections or there are things that we feel are weakness within our family, maybe it's time for us to work on those things or maybe also to pray to God for the grace to go through those things or to perfect those things or to even work through the brokenness or the messiness of life. That in fact, our Lord wants to give us grace even in 
those places, to live more perfectly the reality of that we are each called to the human family. And we shouldn't get it in our minds that we need to live life perfectly, that we need to have the perfect family, that we've got it all figured out and all squared away. That is not exactly what we're called to do. We are called to imitate the Holy Family to the best of our ability. So we're not necessarily called to live out perfection right here and right now, but we are called to families of persistence that we continue to try and try and try time and time again. And that even in the moments of failure, even in the moments where there's woundedness or hurt, that we pray for forgiveness, we pray for God's grace and healing on those things so that we can live familial life more, uh, more holy and more holistically and in peace and security the ways that we are called to do. Now, this isn't an idealistic thing. This is reality. This is the Lord understanding where we come from. And so, in fact, he wants to tell us that he wants to give us the grace that we so desperately need so that we can live family life well. But maybe not every one of us is in the bonds of family life right now, because many of us, maybe we feel like we're kind of observing or we're kind of passive in the way that we are seeing or watching or observing other families. But as Christians and as Catholics, we can never do things passively. We must also actively be praying for other families around us. And those families that are in our congregation, within our school, within our acquaintance, those that need our prayers, those that are undergoing the trials and tribulations of this life, and even even being confronted by a world who dares to question the importance of the family. Because the Lord has said it to be important, but we need to pray for all of these families. We need to pray for them to have the courage to live lives of virtue, of love, and of faith. Because it's such a difficult thing in this climate and in this day and age, but it's imperative and it's important because of the impact that they can have. Look at Simeon, look at Anna, look at all of those around, and as they perceive the Holy Family, what happens? Their lives are changed. Their lives are lived for the better because they are impacted and they see what this family is doing. And in fact, each of our families have that same power and potency. But we also need to pray for those families that we know so desperately need our prayers. Those that we might feel are broken. Those that we might feel are unmendable or incorrectable. Those that we feel like might be beyond hope. That those families too need our prayers so desperately. And we have the duty and obligation as Catholics and as Christians to pray for all families, but especially those in most need of our prayer, because the Lord wants to bestow his mercy upon them. But also we should be aware that many are also preparing for families. The reality that one day they will be called to lead a family and to grow a family of their own. So certainly we pray for those individuals that are also getting ready or preparing in a way to lead lives of family life. And so we also pray for them, but also this is a moment of importance for them too, because as important as the family is, they need to be formed well to lead a family well also. And so it's a moment of preparation for those who may may not yet be in a family, but are looking towards the future and wondering what it holds. Perhaps it will hold a family as well, and now's the perfect time and opportunity to grow in grace and virtue so that in time they can lead their own family well and by the grace of God. Because the reality is the Holy Family is given to us as a beautiful moment to stop and consider. That home at Nazareth and that home that was so quiet and so silent and yet so beautiful and so perfect and so holy. And it's not to say that our families are far removed from that, but our families should be able to pursue that ideal that even in the midst of our brokenness, even in the midst of our humanity and frailty, that nonetheless the Lord wants to give us grace, especially through the patronage of the Holy Family, so that we too can call ourselves holy and we can lead each other 
on paths of virtue, on paths to love one another, and on paths to faith and holiness as well. Because the reality is families are so important and so vital. And it's not just the Holy Family, but each and every one of ours are so essential to our Lord and to our God. And in fact, even whenever I look at my own vocation, it started within my family. That I didn't just drop out of the sky and no priest or no religious ever did. But they all started in the midst of a family. And even the saints that we all see, each and every one of them started from this reality. And that means for each and every one of us how important and profound the family is. So we pray for that grace of God upon those families around us and upon our own so that we too can be those houses of formation and we can grow in virtue, in love, and in faith all together and in those bonds that are so important, so essential, and so formative to each of us as human persons. The Holy Family is here before us. They are here to consider as an example and as a model for us to follow. May we not be so discouraged to think that that is a model that is not accustomed to our reality, but may we see the ways that each and every one of us are called to live those lives of holiness, lives of faith, and lives that are modeled after the example of the Holy Family.